0: Here we go, Monday night, time for Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo, and we have got a huge show on tap for you tonight. Ira's been all over the place. Can't wait to get caught up with him. But we do always disclose, Ira, we're taping this uh, show a little bit early. Great reason for that. Fill us in. And this was something that almost didn't happen. This was kind of something that just popped up on you.
1: Yeah, I'm in Las Vegas right now, ready to go to the Vegas Knights and the Florida Panthers game. So it'll be to go back to back days. I was in Denver. And then I had to fly from Denver to Vegas uh, to go to the game tonight. So I'm, I'm excited. Now, remember, when you're out west, these games start much earlier. It's a 5 o'clock start. Yesterday was a, was a 6 o'clock start in Denver. So it's uh, it's it's weird going to the games. When the games are over, it's still light outside. Everybody else in the East Coast, they're in bed, and it's still light out. And, and everybody goes to the rest. You can still have dinner, actually, after one of these games.
0: Yeah, it is kind of cool how it's set up. Uh, I've never experienced it. I couldn't imagine doing football at, you know, 10 in the morning. It just <laughs> seems weird to me. But, hey, you know, people do it uh, all across uh, the western uh, seaboard. So, you had gone to, um, to to go out to the Nuggets uh, to go out to Denver, but you really didn't have these set in stone plans to go to Vegas, right?
1: No, I didn't have it said. I was thinking about maybe going to Vegas if they, on the Saturday game and then flying back. Because remember, the NBA is spread out Thursday and Sunday. So I thought it was easier just to do it this time. So, but it's been crazy. Monday was in Boston, uh, Thursday, Denver, <laughs> and then Saturday, you know, and then and then again, uh, Sunday, Denver, and now Monday here in Las Vegas. So it's been a great, and I'll be back to Florida this week, but that's where the game is in, in, in Florida. But this is just awesome. I mean, to have Stanley Cup, it's, it's the intensity of the basketball games, The intensity of the, of the hockey is just amazing.
0: So let's let's get caught up on. I was going to say you're lucky that uh, you know both South Florida teams are in. You could save a little travel when both teams are fortunately home at the same time. But so originally, you know, Miami went up three zero on on Boston in the prior series, and we're looking at it like, well, you know, this is a wrap. And then next thing you know, Ira, you're getting on a plane and going to Boston for a game seven.
1: Going to Boston for a Game 7, and I have been to a lot of places, and I I was thinking, I have been when, like, the, say, the Carolina Panthers play the Pittsburgh Steelers. There's still Carolina Panthers fans in Heinfeld or Creatures Stadium, whatever you want to say. When the Sacramento Kings play the New York Knicks, there's still Sacramento Kings. I saw one other Heat fan at that Boston game. Like it was, and the the Boston fans, it's not like Heat fans were dressed, wearing like jeans and t-shirts. Everybody had a Celtic, everyone had a Celtic shirt on, hat, something. I was wearing Heat. I just want everyone to say, are you crazy? And I think they thought I was a police officer because I was the only one sitting there with it. And the ticket prices were through the roof, and which makes it even more amazing is because the ticket prices were so expensive because there's no Heat fans there. It was only Boston fans. I mean, this was, they had just, remember, people have to understand, they had just won on that game six, that Derek White shot that they played before the game started a million times. And so this is like the coronation. This was the Boston, the conquering heroes, the the 150 and, oh, the teams have been down 3-0 and not come back. They were going to be the one team that did it. They were going to be the Red Sox. They had all the Red Sox who came back from the Yankees, you know, there at the game, talking about, Those things. This was all set up. You know, that's why they, you know, it was a seven point line, but everyone felt that this was Boston's game to win. They won game seven the year before Miami. They were going to win this game seven, and that arena and everything was just, oh, being saving. All around town. I flew in in the morning. You know, we did our show, got on a plane, flew up there. And from the, where I landed in the plane to get a Godfrey Hotel where I stayed at to where I walked to the game, is just sea of Celtic fans. And it was like, they're ready. They're going to win NBA Finals. Bring on Denver.
0: Yeah, I mean, most people did. I think even Heat fans were, were pretty dejected at that point. But ended up pulling off a miracle win. Let, let's talk about this game because – this was one where Ira the Heat looked like a different team in Game Seven than they did, you know, for most of Game Four, Five, and Six. Right. I mean, that was a question. They were they had they had looked like
1: they had played intensely. They played over their heads per se. They, you know, almost had a chance to steal Game Six. You know, it would have been an amazing win. And then and then they almost lost. It was back and forth in terms of you know in terms of how Game Six was, and they, they thought they had Game Six, and they didn't. Um, but it was just. I just I just have to get back to that stadium, that feeling when I walk in there. I've been to loud places. When LeBron came back to my well, Heat he player, when he came to the Cavaliers, one of the loudest arenas i I've ever been in, A Game 6, the Chicago Bulls, Jordan last shotting in Utah, that game was loud. Golden State, Game 7 against the Cavaliers, that game was loud. This was up there. The fans were deafening and they come out and they have the, the leprechaun that comes out of the lights, like they do the heat tube but it's all green and black. It's very dark. You walk in, it's almost like a subway station. And the moment, now I was getting, I had trouble getting tickets. I was trying to get tickets. So I usually get a chance before and I got there right about like half an hour before the game, but. I'm sitting there, and I thought the Heat had a chance. I said Boston is not going to be motivated. You know, Boston is the type of team that's going to probably lay an egg. They could potentially, like I think the Heat had a chance. And I'm sitting there in the stands, and I'm like, I don't see how. any I said the dream team right now would lose this game. Like I think there's no way with that with the intensity from the fans, and I just absolutely one of the worst performances I could ever imagine the Boston Celtics. Like, I'm glad I'm not a Boston Celtics fan because I couldn't stand to support a team that just came out there and gave that type of effort, that type of, with with everything on the line, with the importance of that game and the heat though, as they did last night, as they've done this whole playoffs, if, they, if the other, you know, they set the trap that the other team walks into and they're just going to win the game. And that's, that's what
0: happened. It's amazing. So let's talk about this game because yeah, it it it's, the Heat are like a, a Jekyll and Hyde, but once again, so are the Boston Celtics. And we saw it in this series where, I don't want to say lazy play, but they just look like there's some kind of malaise over them where where they just, one quarter to the next, they can look like a different team. One game to the next, totally different. And we got the bad Celtics here, but we also got a great performance, great coaching from Spo, and a good team win for the Heat.
1: Right. I mean, he decides not to start Kevin Love, starts Caleb Martin instead in the game. Uh, As he had done before, and it was just perfect. I mean, Martin had you know this tremendous game. Twenty-five seconds in the game, Jason Tatum drives, and he turns his ankle on Vincent. Now, at first, you know he's down; it's like out the game. Ended up playing forty-one minutes a game, and then after the game, that's the excuse. And I heard some people say that it's almost like that was like the excuse, not just Tatum for the whole Celtics. Like, okay, well, we lose the game; Tatum was hurt. Well. Really, I mean, everyone who's watching Jimmy Butler knows he's playing her. Kyle Lowry's playing her. The entire – Calamarta played last night sick. Like – if you're in the playoffs and you're going this way, Patrick Mahomes, did, did anybody notice in the Super Bowl Patrick Mahomes? Like, did they notice that he won the Super Bowl on hurt ankle? Like, just because you hurt an ankle, if you were in there playing, like, I, I can't believe that Tatum is going to this, I was hurt. I, it, I just can't believe that that was the excuse they give. And then Jalen Brown starts turning the ball over. Um, remember, Jalen Brown was gardening before the playoffs. Like, the end of the season, he was gardening. He dropped a vase, tried to pick up his vase and cut his hand. And that has really affected his play. Now, he's you know, could mention that's an injury, too, but he also has a thing on his face in terms of a face, you know, a, his, a mask that he has to wear. But he played you know, eight turnovers, terrible. But then seven minutes in the game, Callum Martin missed the three, scores nine to four Boston. So so the Heat went five minutes without scoring with like four points, and then Joseph so Missoula called a timeout. I could not believe that they would call timeout. They were on a fast break. I thought it was like a television timeout, like some the, the refs called it, and Missoula actually did call that timeout with all the momentum, with all the fans. And I think that was the high watermark of the game in terms of the fandom into the game. Because then they caught all, you know, we got quiet after that. The Heat only scored four points in five minutes, but then they suddenly got it. Because out of the timeout, Smart Smith, Sarmis a shot, Vincent made a shot, and then he went on a 14-4 run down to the, the quarter. Struce, Butler, and Martin all hit big shots. But it was like... Thank you, Joe Mazula, for calling a timeout. Like he gets criticized for calling a timeout. I said that he called timeout at the worst spot, and uh, it was twenty-two to fifty at the end of one. The Heat were ten for twenty-four shooting. Boston in the first quarter, zero for eleven, six for twenty-three. They had four turnovers, and then Duncan you know, uh, Robinson and Highsmith comes in the game, starts to score. Now it's twenty-seven to fifteen, and at that point, it was like. Boy, the Heat are going to – you couldn't even imagine what you're watching. And with, but with two minutes left, I, I've been saying this. Bam out of bio. When he gets in foul trouble, it messes up their entire rotation. He gets his third foul and on offensive foul. And I thought that was, okay, now this is where Boston's going to come back. Because the Boston fans were nervous, but they're like, oh, we came back in game six against the Sixers. Don't you remember when Tatum was terrible the whole game and then came back and won game six? And then won in game seven. So, so, so Boston's up by 11 at halftime and this is, you know, I saw it last night too. If I, Mickey Mickey Harrison last night sat two rows in front of me. If I could have talked to Mickey Harrison, I would have said, can you ban the heat fans from eating at halftime? Like I would say, I would bring food out free to the Because when at halftime, they all the front rows, you notice everybody goes in, in and eats. And then the teams come out for a third quarter and the entire first three rows all around the arena are empty. And I think that took even more, you know, it was like really weird. And then, the Celtics, they play the music, and I know I've been in so many different years. They were playing, like, depressing music. Like, it, it was making more nervous. It's almost like the fans, the music, the atmosphere, and the team, you could see Boston was pressing and pressing and pressing in terms of getting into this game. And, uh, you know, the Heat started out fast in the third quarter. Butler had a big three, made it 57-43. Celtics cut it to eight with four minutes to go on a Tatum, with, with Tatum shot. And, that's when, and then they started trading baskets. So it's 10 points going into the fourth quarter. And still, if you're a Celtics fan, you're like, oh, I'm so disappointed. We only scored 66 points in three quarters. But remember, Jason Tatum against Philadelphia just two weeks ago, we came back. We'll figure this out. We'll win the game. We're only down 10, all those things. And then... Tatum missed this easy layup to begin the fourth. Martin hits a big three. It was like a five-point swing. Jalen Brown does a charge. Father has a shot. And suddenly, with 10.50 left, as I was talking about, the lead is 17, and the game's over. The fans start to lead, and then the entire fourth quarter, they're booing. Like, the fans had totally turned. It's not cheering. It's this. It's booing. And he just, you know, they got the 23 points. They're cruising along. Absolutely amazing. A Butler ended up with 28 points. Kyler Martin had 26 points. Bam, slow, but, but Bam did what he had to do 12 points, 10 boards, and Gabe Vincent had 10 points. Streets had eight. Uh, but it was like Jay, uh, Jason Tatum, five for 13, one for four, three for 14 points. 14 points in a game seven at home. Jalen Brown, even worse, eight for 23 with eight turnovers, 19 points. Derek White had, had 18 that smart play bad, only nine points. It was one of those just weird, weird types of games. Boston shot um, 42 threes and only made nine. Not, and that's, they just go down and shoot. They didn't try to work the ball inside. Didn't do anything. And it was just an amazing game. And, and it was. It, it'll go down as what I was. I'll just never forget sitting there and saying, "There's no way that he's going to win this game." Now going walking on the plane on my show, I kept saying he had a chance. When I, if you were in that arena and felt that enthusiasm and that energy, you're like, "There's no way that he's going to win that game."
0: This is Ira on Sports True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Ira is in Las Vegas getting ready for tonight's uh, matchup of the Florida Panthers versus the Vegas Knights. I should have started just a minute ago. We pre-taped the show earlier so that Ira would be able to enjoy this. So I got to tell you, you know, before we move on to the the finals here, it was really refreshing to see a Heat team hit their rhythm again. You know what I mean? Like after three games of kind of blah – in the second half of that game against uh, the Celtics in Game 7, you're looking at this team like, all right, this is the Heat team that, that I remember. This is the Heat team that can go all the, go all the way.
1: Right. I mean, I think that was, that was great. I, I, the one thing I wanted to point about the game was that people – there was this debate on who should be the, the Eastern Conference Finals MVP. Now, it's not a playoff MVP. It's an Eastern Conference Finals MVP. And I couldn't believe that Kyle Martin, who played great, and I'm not taking anything away from Kyle Martin, but he only – he averaged 19.60 runs to assist, played great. But actually, he almost – one more vote would have switched. He would have been the MVP over, over Jimmy Butler. Anybody who watches the Heat play, the whole, this is Jimmy Butler. Like Calum Martin, that we see him scored in the whole finals. I mean, this is Jimmy Butler. I don't care. I hate. That's what I hate. Sort of like you know, when they give out these MVPs and these. Uh, you know, it's not the Eastern Conference final MVP is not that big in the scheme of things. But I, you know, when we talked, we debated years ago uh, when Corey Seeger won the MVP for the Dodgers, not Clayton Kershaw. Like I think there's got to be a point where the star player of the team who's driving the entire team gets the MVP award over uh, another player. Like Ben should have got it over Henry. Holmes and stuff like that. But, and one of those things where I think, but in this, I thought it was close. I couldn't believe it was a debate that Jimmy Butler wasn't going to get the MVP. Thank, thankfully he did. He deserved it. But uh, I think that was the, that from an aspect of that. And then I really think from a Celtics the future of the Celtics, they have a big decision on Jalen Brown. Did they give him a five-year, $300 million contract? I would, because at least you could trade him. They've said they're going to sign Joseph Mazzullo. They're not signed. They signed him, but not fire him. I, would, I think he was one of the worst coaching jobs I've ever seen. I thought he was terrible. I, 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 they If they're going to bring the entire team back, they have to find a different coach. Um, it was—it's was it's been, it, This was, They had Stevens and they had a last year. They, they fired a after just one year because of the um, sexual harassment in the workplace or whatever they want to call it. He was put on leave, and now he's coaching the Houston Rockets. But that really set them back, and I don't think this team bought into Missoula the whole year, and they became more – last year they were a defensive team. This year they were more a three-point shooting team, and you saw it didn't work out. So I really would. I think they're making a mistake bringing Missoula back. And as a Heat fan, I'm happy if the Celtics don't want to – You know, they have great talented players. They really need a better coach on that team.
0: One thing they could do, I like. You don't have to fire the guy. He wasn't hired to be the head coach. He was promoted once you had to, you know, get rid of someone. As you said, why not relegate him back to an assistant and hire someone who's done it before? You know, it's not like a a terrible mark on on his uh, on his resume. If you say, okay, you know, thanks for doing the interim job for us. We're going to get someone in here who's done it before. Well, I mean, he was – and the
1: weird thing, I think with a dynamic that people don't understand, being in Boston, I started talking to a lot of people, it it, it comes out. He was like the fourth assistant on Aducos team. So when they promoted him, they promoted him over three assistants – so there was a little bit of pushback from the other assistants, like, well, you know, we're ahead of him. We should have been. If you notice, three of the Boston assistants now went down to Houston coaching with the Duco. So they clearly didn't want to stay in Boston. They wanted to go with the Duco. So there was a dynamic that was a work that did make, and they lost Damon Stoudemire, was an assistant coach uh, who went ahead of the coach at Georgia Tech, and there was a lot of turmoil. But from that perspective, again, I, I agree with you, make him an assistant, but he wasn't ready for this, and certainly not ready to go against someone like Eric Spolstra, who we've talked about, is not a great strategist in-game, a strategist pre-game, development of players, development of teams, someone who can keep the players like last night, Kevin Love didn't play for two games, but can start a game and be efficient. Duncan Robinson, who's been riding the benches we've seen the entire year, comes in and wins the game in the fourth quarter. That's the type of coach. I mean, Spolster is a master. And for people who say that the NBA, the coach doesn't matter, Eric Spolster would be my case number one. He clearly matters. He knows what he's doing, and thankfully he'd have him because they would not be where they are with any other coach but Spolster.
0: Seven undrafted players, and you're in the NBA Finals. I think is doing something right. All right, let's move on, Ira. NBA Finals here. You're in Denver for the first two games, and this is something – it's kind of a David versus Goliath. If, if, if you thought that the you know the national uh, viewpoint on the Heat-Celtic series was that, was that the Heat had no chance, it surely doubled at least going into Denver.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've been following Denver for a while. They get Mike Malone is a great coach. 2015, he's hired. He and Spolster are two of the oldest in terms of right after him. He's like the, with seniority. So he was hired. They bring Jokic in 2015. Jamal Murray comes in 2016. Michael Porter Jr. draft in 2019. Aaron Gordon bring in 2020. They at first three years, they did make the playoffs under Malone and Joe Greg. But then in 2018, they had the second-best record, went to the second round. In 2019-20, they had the third-best record. And in the bubble, they beat the Jazz when Murray and Mitchell won great battles. They beat the Clippers and lost the Lakers, who ended up beating the Heat. 2021, they had the third-best record. Murray gets hurt. They don't play. And then the next year, they had a good record. But then Murray, got, was, Murray was injured the whole year, and they got knocked out early. So now they have Murray back because he tore his ACL. So he's back. And this year, they had the number-one record in the West. They beat Minnesota 4-1, they beat Phoenix four games to two, and they swept the Lakers, and they look great. And this is a team. So this is a team that is not like they they, they were great in the regular season, they've been great in the playoffs, they have the player who's been the two MVP, and and they have a great coach. So it's like, and they also have an amazing record at home where they've only lost nine games in the whole year. So the point is this, this seemed like to me on paper, the team that the Heat, you know, have overcome, they overcame uh, uh, the Celtics with poor coaching, uh, Milwaukee, who knows what was going on when Giannis is throwing up balls and and shooting threes instead of driving the basket, the Knicks were injured and overmatched but this one I felt like wow this is a team this is going to be the ultimate challenge and that's why the win last night was the ultimate win it a tremendous win but that but you're right this was and also the size Michael Porter Jr. When you go to the games, see Aaron Gordon, Michael Porter Jr. are six ten, and they're not just six ten skinny six ten. They're six ten. They wear these muscle white muscle like undershirts when they wear up in the game. They look tough. They look. They are big. They're bigger. They're much bigger than Bam Adebayo is. But Joker. So they have three players that are bigger than the Heat's tallest player. And it's just it's one of those things. And also Jamal Murray's bigger than Vincent and and uh, and Lowry. So they are a big team. And I was just expecting like. I I I'm a, I'm he, I just don't see how Bulls is going to figure out how to win this series but uh, we saw last night he did he came up some way
0: We'll we'll talk about the games in just a minute this is Iron Sports True All these channel a Mike Balsamo. do you want to talk about Denver and, and how the arena is set up I believe this was your first time attending a basketball game in Denver
1: yeah, I've only, now I only have like five more places I have to go and I'll get every stadium, but I have been there for football. I'm a Steelers at Vesco Field. I've been there for a couple of Steeler games when they played the Broncos. And, uh, the classic line is when I was dating a girl one time and she said, I have to go on Labor Day for a wedding or the after a week after Labor Day for a wedding in, in Colorado Springs or whatever. And I'm like, and before I say no, I said, yeah who's playing there? And I realized the Steelers were playing on Monday against the Broncos. I was like, yeah, I'd love to go to the wedding. What a great idea, but can we just stay one extra day? How about do we do that? And she was, you know, knew me well enough to know that, well, you know, who's playing Monday Night Football? And it was Peyton Manning versus the Steelers. But so it was the first time I've been in Denver, though, for um, for basketball. And it's a weird it, – the town is great. There's a great downtown. I stayed right in the heart of downtown, and I could walk. You can – it's 20-minute walk to Invesco Field where the – Broncos play it's 20 minutes walk to like the ball arena if it's, it's, they're in a row so like from the vesco field the ball arena is like 10 minutes and then there's another it's like 20 minutes like i went to ball arena to buy some merchandise on saturday and then i wanted to go watch the games at coors field and then you walk another 20 minutes at coors field so they're not all in the same area but they're literally in walking distance if you want to spend 20 minutes to walk somewhere and that's what was you know exciting to see the fact that they're, they're all downtown you don't have to get in your car to drive you can walk around Around course field is really great. There must be like 30 bars. Like, it is really a tremendous area. Around ball arena is not much going on, but as I said, it, you just flow right into downtown. Same thing with the Vesco Stadium. But um, it's, it doesn't have the final four. It's just in Houston for the final four. There's all the teams, all the coaches that, you know, they have the coach convention. There, there were no Heat fans at the game. So there was no, I didn't get a sense that Heat fans were around, the Denver fans, it, it was it was just a different type of show. You go to Super Bowl, you have all the different fans and teams. You just didn't get that here at this game. So it was like, there was no atmosphere. And like I saw like Michael, like uh, uh, Zach Lowe was a writer. He's seen on TV all the time. I saw him walking down the street. I saw Michael Wilhelm eating at a restaurant with a table, like with seven other people. But you didn't see like everyone together, like the coaches went to Houston at like the one convention, where I'm saying I saw Calabari, like every coach in the world was there, every reporter's there. You just didn't get that sense there. And then it was a down it was That exciting, especially Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night. Now Saturday, you didn't see it, but as people were going out Saturday night, but it's more like Denver is a type of town where people just don't go out to Saturday night. But um, it was it, it was great though to be able to just walk every day to the stadium and just go right like, walk in and go there, and that was fun. So I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the town from that perspective and that there's restaurants and bars
0: and everything right in the city. Okay, so let's talk about um, you know actually what happened here. You like to get to the stadium early, get set up, get nice and comfortable, see how the warm-ups go. What did you see, uh, you know, when you got there for game one?
1: Well, I love the fact that you get at this arena, and I don't know what he's going to do. You get there two hours before. So understand what happens when you go, like, I'm going to go to hockey tonight. They don't, you can't get there super early and watch them do just drills, but you can get there two hours before, and you get to watch the players do their shooting. So, like, I sat there before the game one, and I watched Drews, I watched Martin, they missed every shot. Like, I'm like, they're going to be terrible. Both of them were, they, they couldn't make a shot. And then you saw Murray come out, and it was neat to watch all the teams. Again, it's usually that one period of time where they come in between, I would say, between two hours before the game, and 45 minutes. And then there's like this half hour that no one comes out. Then, with like 18 minutes to go, then everybody comes out. They each come out, the warm up lines, all those things. It's a little, so that aspect of what I love watching. Now, the Curry, Steph Curry is the one who got me into this because his individual workout is amazing. You know, he's shooting from all over the place, making trick shots, shooting great. And that's what got, it's like, you know, watching Aaron Judge in uh, batting practice. You know, to watch that. So I, I like that aspect of it. So I saw that Strusen and Martin looked like they were having trouble. And the arena is neat though. It's, it, it was built the same time as the heat arena is built about that same time. And they serve hockey to Avalanche play there. So it's a little bit different, but the seats, it looked like every seat had a good seat there. I love the fact it was like round, like the Honda Center. So there was a lot of restrooms. It was easy. The view was good and a big scoreboard, like even much better scoreboard than the heat have. So you could actually look up and see things. So I, from the, I, there was lots of food options and that those things so I really like that aspect of it but um, and they remind you the funny thing is that they kept saying they keep reminding you that you're 5,036 whatever you know mile high you know they how high you are in the air the numbers all over like they said altitude warning like they keep putting on the board you know uh, low oxygen low oxygen those types of things so it's uh, and everybody's dressed in Nuggets gear I mean at the game let's see what celebrities Ken Jong was there I got a picture with him outside the famous actor of rang over Sean Payton the coach of the uh, the Broncos we did see Mike McDaniel, you know, hopefully Peyton will make the trip to Miami, we got and Peyton, and then Peyton Manning was there, Russell Wilson was there, not super, not as many stars as you normally see, but, you know, it is Denver, so, but I like going there, I like, that, I like being there for the atmosphere.
0: So let's talk about the games themselves. Going into game one, like I said, national media not giving the heat any chance, anybody you talk to is just going to say that the Nuggets are going to blow them out. There were a lot of portions of game one where the heat didn't look very good, Ira, but they made it respectable in the end, if that's anything to build off. What do you want to talk about uh, how they approached this game?
1: Well, I think they decided, you know, again, they put they benched Love, and they put Caleb Martin in, and didn't even play Love the entire game. And the Heat had taken of Game 1. They've been on the road against Milwaukee, New York, Boston. They always won that Game 1. And uh, it was weird, though. The Heat are now, after this, you know, they were 1-6 in Game ones, even in the, in the NBA Finals, even the Wade— Shaq team in 2006 and 2012 and 2000 when they won the title they actually lost game one so this it's a it was a good sign actually that the Heat lost game one in the finals because they actually have won titles when they were there so that was the point I thought was. Was, uh, was interesting in terms of the game one. And now remember the Nuggets had the home court advantage throughout the whole playoffs. So they had been winning their you know, first two games all the time. And, uh, so this is where it was like he had won their first games. The Nuggets had won. So that was said, the battle was that was going to happen. And Butler started fast. He made a two pointer, a three pointer. And, uh, and then he had five points in the first two minutes and only ate the rest of the game. And what the Nuggets did. Was I, I kept waiting for a team to do that? They just posted Aaron Gordon up. They said, "Aaron Gordon, you're six ten. You're strong. You're going to play." I don't care if they're playing zone, whatever they what kind of games they want to play. They put Aaron Gordon underneath, and you saw how many flick pictures. of, amazing pictures of Gordon and Vincent are, is just under him. Just could not guard. No one could guard him. Martin, nobody could guard Gordon, and he had like eight points of just throwing it inside. And it's almost like you know, one team you see in high school, like one player is that superstar player, and, and Gordon's not even the tallest player on the team. And Jokic was passing into him and. And Jokic did not take a shot the entire first quarter, but totally running the show. Seeing him in person, he's even better than when he's on TV. His his he throws the passes. I would love to see LeBron and Jokic play on the same team because they, they see the whole court. They throw the balls like I, 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 they see openings when I don't see openings. They throw the passes. They shoot well. He's a trim, complete, absolute, tremendous player. And they're up twenty nine nothing. You know, the only thing keeping the Heat of the game was Bam Adebayo was playing great. He scored. He shot twenty five shots in the game, which was a career playoff high. It was twenty nine twenty in the second quarter. Jokic starts on the bench. Murray then. They usually have the thing of the Murray or Jokic out there, and uh, and that's where the Heisman you know, Heisman took some baskets. But Murray had a three and put it to 10. And then they started trading the baskets. The lead stayed around 10 10 points. Um, And the zone did not work. You know the Heat had used their zone so well. It's not like the zone in the NBA is a smart thing, but the teams aren't used to it. So even though the shots are there, it's a different type of shot. So when the Heat employs the zone, it's not like oh we're in everybody's faces like a college type of zone that's trapping. But I love what Sposter does. You can see how he presses. Sometimes the other team calls a timeout, and I was like oh I'll just press. Like he'll just throw things just to mix things up, and that and that and that sort of works. And then but the Nuggets closed out great in that first half. They they were they were it was 52-40. They took a 7-2 run and they took a 17 point lead at the half. And that was like, wow, you know, Struess was 0 for 7, Martin 0 for 5, uh, Bam at 14 points, Butler at 7. But Joe Cook was had 10 and 10, and only LeBron in the last 25 years is a player that had 10 points and 10 assists in the first half. And Miami just couldn't shoot, 4 for 17 from 3. And uh, the third quarter started, he started fast, they scored the first 7 points, Bam and visit came up, And uh, but it was still, they were down 21 through, by 21 at the end of 3. And then the fourth quarter was weird. I mean, the Heat actually like like that's what I thought. It almost woke. I was almost upset that heat came back because it sort of woke Denver up. It's like this Heat team was down 16 Milwaukee. They came back. They were down 12 Milwaukee every quarter. Like. They're, they're battlers. Like, they want to come back. And the Heat scored the first 11 points in the fourth quarter. Um, finally, you know, Lowry hit these two big threes. And then Jokic decided, I'm not going to be passing. He had two free throws, a layup, another shot, and uh, sort of held it there. They held it at that 10-point-minute thing. You know, besides, it was almost Highsmith was scoring. Highsmith ended up 18 points at game. Leisman. You know, Highsmith in the whole series in Milwaukee had 11. And the Knicks series had 14. And, uh, and in, in 54 games this season, he averaged four points. But he came in and played really, really well. But, uh, it was, wasn't enough. I mean, it was, a, a Jimmy Butler was six for 14, you know, ended up with 13 points. Uh, Martin had three points. Struce was 0 for 10, uh, three points between Duncan Robinson. It was one for six. It was a combined two for, uh, 19, you know, from shooting from threes. It was a complete disaster for the heat. Um, and Joker was amazing. 27 points, 10 boards, 14 assists. Jamal Murray had 26 points and 10 assists. And Gordon had 16 points. Porter had 14, but it was this, it was that domination. and, and the. Bringing off the bench, Bruce Brown. When he's in the game, when Jokic's in the game, Murray's in the game. They just do whatever they wanted, uh, and that was it. Was it was like it was exactly how people thought this game would go, except for that fourth quarter. Denver dominated. Joker's great. Miami's overmatched. That was the narrative for three days. That's what, All you heard was that that narrative.
0: So I want to give an interesting stat here. Going into Game One, if you wanted to bet on Joker to have a triple double, it was minus one thirty-five. When do you ever hear negative money? Like they're betting, you're betting that he is going to get a triple double. I don't think any player in history has ever had lines like that. I thought that was crazy. He lived up to the part in game one. So in game two, now you're looking at this like, spoh has got to make some adjustments, right? I mean, there has to be some changes because this the Heat team just didn't look like that Heat team that wins games. He started Kevin Love, and we got a different result in game two, a much better one.
1: So I get there early for the game, and I just want to touch on what you said. We said about undrafted. Struess is undrafted. Vincent undrafted. Kyle Martin undrafted. Heisman, who's played some roles, is undrafted. Rob Duncan Robinson is undrafted. Bam was a 14th pick. Butler the 30th. Lowry the 24th. I mean, if you look at the draft in the last 10 years, the Heat they have only drafted six players. If I, if this would be like a test, like who they drafted, I would have had to go back and look. <laughs> Justice Winslow and Josh Richardson, Bam was drafted in 2017, Hero in 2019, Precious Achua in 2020, and Jovic, who they just drafted now. That's it. Now, they made so many trades. That's how they got Butler. That's how they got Lowry. They had made these trades with these draft picks in order to get their team. But they, if the, anyone says they built through the draft, yeah, they got Bam and Hero, but that's about You know, that's, that's who they've got through the draft. So it's really that's, that's what's amazing. But they haven't just got second round and first. I mean, it, these are undrafted. I mean, they've gone through 60 players that, you know, that was, it's just amazing. But I guess they're early and I got an amazing seat. I spent two days trying to look for tickets. The prices just wouldn't go. Like one of those things where you just pay a little bit more or a little bit more. You're, you know, you had a budget, but you're like, am I going to sit in a bad, real bad, you know, like, and I got a seat right behind the heat bench, about 11 rows. Uh, Pat Riley was to my right. Mickey Aris was to my right. Alonzo Mourning's to my right. The Heat fans were there. And I to the first game where I didn't really see any Heat fans, there were tons of Heat fans. Like, the Heat fans came out for Sunday night. Like, they got off. They were already there. They flew over. I couldn't believe how many Heat fans were at the game. And that helped, too. Because even after the game, the Heat fans were like, you know, the players were pointing to the fans in this area. So I'm so glad I sat where I sat because it was pretty cool to watch that. And then I watched the warm-ups. Strews was hot. He was hitting everything. Caleb Martin, who had been sick, was missing everything. So I'm like, I was telling people, bet Strews on the over, don't bet Caleb Martin. And Jamal Murray, surprisingly, I saw him Thursday night. Look like the he has the weirdest shot. It's it's like a it, it's a, not a flat shot, but there's not an arc to it, and it's so soft. And it was he couldn't miss like I, I, I watched him like, like 10, 15 in a row. But yesterday, he was missing everything. I'm like, boy, Murray is totally off. He can't shoot. Joker, of course, looks amazing. I love his warm ups, but that was what that was my takeaway from that early part of the game. And I love the fact I think the heat fans being there helped the heat, like it's sort of like he's like, okay, we got some fans here today. This is a little bit different.
0: This is Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Uh, as, I, as we mentioned earlier, the show is previously recorded. Ira is in Las Vegas getting ready for tonight's Game 2, Florida Panthers taking on the Vegas Knights. And as Ira said, his seat for Game 2 of the uh, NBA Finals was fantastic. You can live vicariously through Ira like I do at Ira on Sports across social media. Uh, what, do you, what do we want to talk about in this game, in Game 2 here, Ira? Because this was a, just a different Heat team. They were set up differently. And this was the first time in the playoffs that I saw Denver look a little bit dejected. Oh,
1: you hit the nail on the head. I can't believe you said that. That, that is the right term. Dejected. Frustrated. Like, they were, it was, it, a lot of things contributed to it, but this is what I consider the heat. The heat are like an, I hate using a, a war analogy, but it's sort of like, a, a, like, almost like guiding a river. Like, if you're going to have bad habits, if you're going to have bad traits, the heat are going to show you the path To commit, do those bad trades. Like that's what they did for Boston. It's like, oh, we know you like to shoot threes all the time. We're just going to keep encouraging shoot threes, be lazy on defense, do those things. It's like the Heat know what you do. Know what hurts you. They're like, you know, they bring the candy around, the sweets, they do the cake. They they know what to do. They're like, oh, you don't need to work out. They. They're like that. And that's what's so funny about that team. But you're totally right. They made, and, and I think the, the Denver got frustrated. And the key, the start of the game, everyone thought, okay, Denver's going to come in. And I had been there three days. I went for runs on two days. It's hard. You know, the altitude is something. It's not like made up. And I actually felt like every morning I woke up a little lightheaded because you're just not used to being up so high in the air when you live in Florida. And the start of the game was awesome. Strews came out just as I had predicted. I kept texting you. Did you bet it? And you added, bet it? Uh, Strews had 12 points. Uh, in not, they had a 10-2 lead. They actually were up 21-10. And what's Love doing? He's drawing charges. Gordon's not coming up. It was like Love is so intelligent out there. He knew exactly what to do with defense. Butler then said, like, you know, the Heat in the first game only shot two foul shots the whole game. Two. Butler didn't shoot any. This game, immediately, Butler's getting fouled. You can see the refs were calling the game closer, and that's the Nuggets don't like it. They were one of the least uh, penalized teams. I think it went to the term and whatever in all of basketball. And they don't like getting fouls called on them. And so the fans don't like it either. So they were booing. It just became more pressure on that. But you know what? The heat got that lead and the nuggets came back. They were unbelievable. Like, you're like, we're ready for heat. we were going to do something for the nuggets. The Jokic started shooting more, getting involved. Christian Broadhood played, I thought, terrible. The most of the playoffs, to start making steals. So at the end of one, it was 26 to 23. And then, then Jokic was out of the game and then the Nuggets made this gigantic run. They were scoring everywhere and it was suddenly 50-35 Denver. They went on, people don't realize this, a 40-15 to run, 40-15. to And Jamal Murray had a steal and dumped the ball over Seuss. Um, At that point, I thought, okay, They're up by 15. You know, they're up. This game is over. Like, they want to – I felt like they're going to be 30. Like, when you ever get to a lead like 15, if it ever gets to like 25, it's almost like that's it. And it was like, it was ready to go. And I got to give Kevin Love a quote. Kevin Love drained a three. When everything was going wrong, he made a three. And then Vincent stole from Brown and got an and one on the steal. And that five point that, that saved the day for the Heat. Otherwise, I think they're out of this thing. It saved the series, saved everything. Because now they're only down 57-51 at halftime when they really could have been totally out of the game. I mean, they fought back and made it. And that was what, that was really weird. That was really great for the Heat to be able to stay in a game like that. Well,
0: that's... That's what you know struck me. Like once they, once Denver stormed back, I didn't realize it was a forty to fifteen run, as you said. But once they did this, it, it other teams would bow out. Especially when you're the eight seed versus this juggernaut one seed, you would think that they would, you know, shrivel up. But they didn't. They they elevated their game from there and just took control. Well, I wouldn't say control
1: yet. They took, they got back and got in the game. And then the third quarter, what was most impressive? was that Jokic started saying, he started realizing, no one else is playing on my team. I have to start to score. And he had 18 points in the third quarter. He was making all types of moves. But every time he scored, I mean, there was a point where Vincent drained the three, and Jokic was right there, and he just said, Joe Cook, like, look at him like, what? like How'd you do this? like, amazing, like You could see it. And then the refs, there were some weird weird things happened in the third quarter. The ball was going knocked out of bounds, and there was like all these 50-50s where the call could have gone either way, like, where did the last hand who hit it? And Denver seemed to lose like four of these in a row. Now, I don't I don't know which ones that they showed up in the replay and people were booing. and It looked like close on every time, but it just seemed to frustrate. Like Joker had the ball, was knocked out of his hands, was it really knocked out, who touched it last. And then they called the three-point when the Heat were shooting threes and were fouled with them shooting threes. But you could see, and also Denver started getting lazy on defense. There was a point where like the Heat would run their offenses and Vincent would shoot a three and you see Porter just like jogging to cover him. And at the point is, you know, Mike Malone, you could was calling timeouts. Unlike Missoula for Boston, like he realized he sensed that this team his team was like not like you it was like I I wasn't in the huddle, but I could see him afterwards, like, do you know who you're playing? Like these guys do not give up. Like they're gonna they're determined. The they come back and come back and come back. You guys have gotta hang in there. But still it was eighty three seventy five going to the fourth quarter. And then who would ever have thought that Duncan Robinson, I mean, who was, there was a month where he probably didn't even play for the Heat, comes in, he drains a three, does a driving layup, drains another three, gave Vincent a three, and suddenly it's 85-83 heat with 10 minutes to go. Jokic wasn't even in the game. Like, Jokic is like, you could see Joker's like, you know, we got to get him in the game. Like, everything started falling apart. Jake Youngerod's had another layup, Vincent another shot, and then it was, then it was Jokic and Butler. Butler started making some big-time shots. But then at 339 left, the heat are up by 12. The fans were shell-shocked. Like, no one, could believe what was going on. Like, they hadn't seen this. It seen the last nine games all year. Like, this is, they were 41 and nine. Like, this is the craziest thing we've ever seen. And then Denver, <laughs> you know, it's like, but again, Denver has that resolve also. So the Heat sort of, they relaxed. That Gordon has a three, Jamal Murray has a shot, Took of a shot. So then it was 111, 108. Of course, people saw Butler misses his shot. And then, I agree. I like the fact I don't – when you have to make a three, I, don't, I think it was, it was okay to not call a timeout. You have an experienced team between Jokic and Murray. I'm not going to blast Denver for not calling a timeout on the last play because I think they realize they have experienced players. And Murray got a good and shot
0: they got, Yeah, they got a good shot off.
1: Yeah, he got a good shot. Off. So
0: Regardless, but, huge uh, win. I mean, you, you had to win one in Denver. You know, to give yourself a chance in this series, had to take one in Denver. You didn't want to be coming back to Miami down 0-2 and they did what they had to do. It, it was ugly at times, but you, you also saw the Heat team that could beat anybody at times, and that was encouraging.
1: And, they, and they, they... Michael Porter Jr. had only five points, two for two for eight shooting. He shot poorly, like one, two, one for 11, two for 11 in the first game and threes. They... They, he's, I, he would been playing so well early in the series and he, he's played terribly. Jamal Murray, Murray had only 18 points and 10 assists. Jokic had 41 points, 10 boards and only four assists. They almost made Jokic a score. It's weird to say that we want you to score and not pass because he's more dangerous when he, he's more dangerous when he passes and not scores, which is amazing. And I think that's what it was, it was crazy. The fact that they need Murray and they need Michael Porter, but Bam at 21 points, Butler at 21, uh, Vince at 23, Struce 14, very, and Duckard Robinson. 10 points, the, the, the greatest 10 points. I mean, amazing. And Kyle Martin was still, you know, after at the great series he had to get the Celtics, had only 3 points. Lowry came in at 9, but it was really, I just, I could not, it was the fact the resilience And the resilience of the heat, but they've been through, they like, we were down to Milwaukee, all those points out. We're down. They were down to Chicago with, and about to lose that game. If they were to lose the game to Chicago, we're not, I don't know where I'm at. I'm not going to be, you know, it's, 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 it's crazy to think, but I think this team has proven they've been resilient in the playoffs. And now now it's one you're right. If now it's one one, they're gonna go back to, to Miami and uh, it's gonna it's gonna be great. Now the Heat have to know that Denver is you know, if Denver went into the Denver went into LA and won two games. Denver is, you know, they they it's like they could win on the road. They know what they're doing. And so this is what I'm so excited is I think you have two teams that are extremely well coached, extremely well motivated, with excellent players that really want to win this. And I think it's gonna be a great battle. I think I think if the Heat come in, the only thing that could about the heat is this they when you're there on monday night and that the fans probably says it too they're exhausted they've been watching them they were up 3-0 they won surprisingly they got 3-3 they won then they had a game monday is there a point where the heat just can't it's the intensity and you're like lose the rope like is it was it ever going to stop like this game got blown up by 40 it seems like every game has been on the edge and not edge but the pressure before every game they've been huge underdogs you wonder if they can keep that up and But you wonder if Denver had, can rise to the challenge. I mean, Denver was disappointed. Can Denver – now they've been punching them out. Now what's Denver going to do? And now they're going to go on the road. And I was thinking it used to be 2-3-2, two, two, not 2-2-1-1-1. Two, two, one, one, one. Denver's sort of lucky that it's 2-2. Two, two, I would not want to be Denver and have the feeling to go, now I'm going to go to Miami and play three games in Miami. They only have to play two, but um, is. Very, very, this is, I love this. I love the pressure. I love the fact that these two teams, I'm glad these are two teams in the finals, and I can't wait to see the adjustments, see what happens uh, going forward.
0: This is Ira on Sports, true oldie channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Uh, you can live vicariously through Ira. He's in Vegas right now, gearing up for game two of the Stanley Cup playoffs. You can live along with him at Ira on Sports across social media. So Ira, Stanley Cup is underway. The Florida Panthers, this this postseason, I don't want to take away from anything that, that's, that they've done because it's been fantastic. But you see that these, these games where they just have lulls and they're, you know, they're, they're a team that they could be totally different one period to the next. Throughout the playoffs so far in the Eastern Conference, they didn't really get punished for when they didn't look good. And that's something that did happen in game one. They looked great at, at parts. Other times they looked slow and Vegas just looked like a better team than them. And Vegas ended up uh, you know getting a convincing win here.
1: Totally. I mean, it was one of those things where I'm texting you and I'm like, it just seems like and I looked at the reports of the game. I'm watching the game, of course, watching the game on TV and seeing it and it's like it, 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 they got lucky in the first period. They scored a shorthanded goal. Like how in the world is Vegas giving up this shorthanded goal to start the game? And then Vegas had, it seemed like Vegas had these easy shots that they missed. Like they were, like it just was a workout, you know, a stop. stop. Uh, but then they tied it one, one after end of one. And then, uh and then, and then it seemed like then it just, Vegas, Vegas power play was a mess. I mean, they gave a goal one, they don't, they don't do anything next, but then, Jay Theodore, who's really popular here, um, he's like one of the uh, what, original six players that were, they, they were still on the team when the team first started. They score to make it two one, and then at the end, look, like the, the, the Panthers are great at their final few seconds. With like ten seconds left, they score and make it two two. But then period three, after Florida started out great, Vegas just dominated. I mean, the, the the whole third period, they're just it was it was uh, it was crazy.
0: Yeah, and, and that, that's exactly it. They were. A lot, a lot of times throughout this series, yeah, either the end of a period they were great, the end of the third period they were great, or in the third period, for you know, for the totality they were great. And like you said, for more than half of that third period, that was just a flat team. And you knew watching it, like, this is not going to be good. You know, the Panthers are going to need to change some things for game two and going forward if they want to have any success. And they need some of their bigger players to step up to, you know, it's great when you can get shorthanded goals. You can't count on those. It's great when Anthony DeClaire scores a goal. He's not the guy who's going to lead you to this. It's going to be Barkov. It's going to be Kachuk. And it's going to be Montour, guys like that. And Sergei Bobrovsky is going to be fantastic. He made some great saves, but he wasn't quite as you know pinpoint accurate as he was uh, you know in the other series leading up to this. Either way, I'm really excited for tonight, game two. I, I think that the Panthers take it to him. And I, I do, if I had to bet, I'd be putting my money on the Panthers tonight.
1: Were you nervous that there were points in the third? It almost looked like you looked up at the beginning, and like I guess between, I don't the mark, like the 15 minute mark or six fourteen 14 minute mark, it almost looked like there were periods where like Vegas was on a power play. Like, I'm like, yeah. why is Florida not? Like, it seemed like they were running a power play. It was like, is someone injured from Florida? Is he off the ice? It seemed like that, you know, they're full strength, they're gone full strength, and it's like this crazy power play situation where it's Florida's defense, and I felt, you know, I just felt <laughs> sorry. You know, certainly, you know, the is getting smashed because pucks are flying all over the place. It's just like, it's one of those things where it's just a matter of time when they score. Um, What about, what do you think, what do you think happened there where they just seemed on defense, just they couldn't even just get the puck
0: out of the zone over like two, three minutes. It's funny how that happens. And, And it was on glaring display in the Toronto series. Toronto's extremely talented offensively. And there'd be periods, 10 minutes would go by, and you're like, I don't think the Panthers have had a shot. They've been set up in our zone the entire time just pelting us with pucks. Toronto couldn't capitalize on it, and that's why you know they they bowed out of that series. But Vegas, with the top line of Marcia So, Barbashev, and um, Jack Eichel, these guys don't make many mistakes, and and they were just able to take it to them. Whether it was you know uh, the top line for the Panthers or the fourth line, they were just getting beat at at every level, and. Like I said, I don't think that'll happen tonight and going forward, but the the Panthers are prone to bad periods. They're, bad to, they're prone to bad 10 to 15-minute stretches, and they weren't capitalized on by Boston. They weren't capitalized by Toronto or Carolina. Vegas is showing you we're going to score when that happens. So I'm sure that, what, that's, that that's the plan here. Like, we can't have any lulls, guys. And what did you think about,
1: to Chuck, that fight, the fight at the end in the middle? Of the, like, there is a point where it's like I was texting you during the am like, I thought that was a cheap shot. Like, <laughs> of course it was. Stall was holding Hague. Uh, a stall for the Florida was holding Hague for Vegas. Just holding him, in like a, I don't even know what kind of hold it was. It was sort of like a neck hold or whatever. And Chuck just punched him in the face. Like, <laughs> him so bad. Like, it's one thing to punch if they're both standing there, and you punch somebody, but with your teammate holding the player back that they can't move. Like, you could break someone's neck by you – know, like, if you're holding someone's neck in a weird position and someone punches you in the face, I mean, that – I thought that was such a low – like, I just think that was, like, classless almost.
0: I'm pretty surprised that there was no ramific- ramifications from the league because, yeah, that, that's – Matthew Kachuk, he's known as being feisty and he's known as being physical. And, I, and I'll leave it at that. And, he, you know, sometimes things get the best of him. He's thrown out of that game. We saw Jamie Ben in the Western Conference Finals Got, he was the team captain of the Dallas Stars. He checked, um, checked someone on the night, and then like cross-checked him in the head while he was down. He got thrown out of the game and got two games suspended. Didn't even get to come back because the series had, ended up uh, wrapping up before that. I'm surprised nothing happened to Kachuk here. You got to control yourself a little better than that. You love his grit, and that when a whistle blows, he goes after someone. He's fighting someone after every play. It's a great guy to have on your team. You don't want to play against guys like that, but you got to watch it because because that was definitely risky. Well, it's dangerous.
1: You know, it, it's one thing or the other because you you think of the stars in the NBA and you think of the NHL and you're like, you know, Connor McDavid is not going around like beating people up. Mario Lemieux, Wayne Gretzky we are thinking about the big stars of them. It's that They're not like the enforcer type. They're you know, they're more like people are protected. Like if you want to hit Lemieux, you're going to get hit back. Like you don't hit Gretzky. That is the type of thing. Chuck is one of the stars in scores but also is causing all the
0: fights too. So he's in the middle of everything. No, the, he's a guy... I promise you every GM in the league is watching this series and watching these playoffs and saying, I need a guy like this. I I want a guy like this. This There's only one problem. There isn't any. He is the the only guy in the NHL who's as talented as this but also as rough as as this. The last guy I can remember like this, Eric Lindros played like this. And, you know, that's 20 years ago. But that's how Lindros was, extremely talented but also big and didn't mind getting physical. And that's exactly what he is. Sometimes it gets the best of him. <laughs> you know, he can be a little bit of a hothead. But like I said, there's every other GM in the league is looking like, I wish I had a Matthew Kachuk on my team. Because th- this he can win games for you like this by getting in the other team's head and by just being overly physical. And, and we, you know, we've seen the skill aspect of it as well. I mean, he, he's a fantastic player. Let's just hope he doesn't get himself suspended.
1: Which is because you remember in hockey you used to have the goon line, you know, where the line in yeah. the fourth or third, fourth line, we're just going to come out and start fights, and now the game is so fast and so quick that if you can't keep up, you're going to look. It's going to be embarrassing. Like if you're out there, it's not, you can't, and that you need all the players. So that's what makes it interesting when you see a player like Jacek, who is so talented. You're right. Lindris is a great example. And Lindris's career was cut short because of all the concussions, because he was yeah. such a fighter and he's involved in everything that he got concussion after concussion and couldn't have the you know, career that people thought was going to be equal to, uh, Lemieux and those type of things. He never amounted to that type of uh, career.
0: This is Ira on Sports, True LD Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. We're talking hockey, and Ira is in Vegas right now getting ready for the puck drop of the Florida Panthers versus this the Vegas. This
1: time in my uh, first time in Vegas for a hockey game. I was there. for The, la- the only other time I've been in Vegas in the MGM arena, T-Bow, what they call it, T-Bow Arena, was the Bay – how about this? Mayweather, Connor, uh, 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 Floyd Mayweather. Versus Conor McGregor, (laughs) that boxing match, which was ridiculous. I went to that, and so it was like that was a weird atmosphere. It was just a crazy, weird atmosphere. So I'm excited though for this to come to like a real like sporting event here for this.
0: Not too much time here left. Ier, let's uh, change gears. Go to golf. Big congratulations to Victor Hovland. You know, for for the past, it seems like year. Every time you look at a leaderboard, Victor Hovland is very close to the top, and he got over the. I mean, he's won before on the tour, but. Got a really impressive win here uh, in in a playoff over Dennis McCarthy. Congratulations to Victor Hovland winning the Memorial. Uh,
1: th- there's two stories I take away. Yes, three stories. Hovland winning was great over McCarthy. Hovland played great. How about Rory McIlroy? <laughs> That's the lead. Yeah, can we stop the with the Rory
0: McIlroy? You know, best golfer in the world talk. This, this, this is another Sunday where he's at the top of the leaderboard and shoots over par.
1: <laughs> and then how can we? And then the other story is Scotty Scheffler. So I told everyone before. that, I looked at the looked at the field and I said, "That's Scotty Scheffler top five. Like I think it's it's a lock in life is Sky Scheffler in the top five because he just always in the top five. And, and the, so after the first, three, he barely makes the cut. He shot a 74 and a 73. And I'm like. He'll, he'll get in there, just like he did at the, uh, at the PG championship. He just battled, he's the best closer. You know, he's, he didn't win. He finished one stroke out, but he's very Tiger-like. And I know that people are going to say, you're crazy, Tiger Woods, because Scotty Scheffler can play horrendously and still be in the top five. Like he can have, he could, he was like, again, he is not putting well at all. He can't make anything. And he's still, that's what Tiger is. Tiger could win tournaments with a C game. I think Scotty Scheffler, like, everyone should watch out because someday he's going to put his A game together. He's going by 12. So like he seems like he, but he, he battles. He doesn't just, I made the cut and I'm going to just hang back there. He battles through. And, and again, I just, I keep, I think he has really been, uh, to me, on the tour now, going against Brooks when we go over, you know, different than Rom. I, I, I just love how Shepherd plays. I love how he plays. I love how he battles to make the cut, and he feels like Tiger. I'm in the cut. I'm going to win the tournament. Uh, just that attitude is great. Uh, two other takeaways: Speak finished in fifth place. He has been playing well, so that was the one thing. Ricky Fowler. Changed to Harmon. but guy went back to his coach. Now a ninth. will finish with a ninth. has he, been getting some good uh, good uh, finishes uh, lately. Uh, Colin Morikawa, who everyone likes. You know, he's one of the big betting favorites. We have the U.S. Open in two weeks. He withdrew with an injury. Cam Young and Jason Day, other big bet. You know, people love betting Cam Young. They can't been really playing well the last couple of weeks. He had, they both missed the cut. So just, you know, I, I'm looking at this tournament and people say, well, how do you bet the RBC Canadian? And I said, don't ever touch the RBC because a lot of the golfers there are just getting ready for the U.S. Open. Like th- it's just a hard tournament to bet because you're, you have people that are just like working on their game, getting ready for the U.S. Open. They're not really playing the golf tournament.
0: So speaking of the U.S. Open, did you happen to see what Victor Hovland was doing today? Oh, I saw that. That was amazing. Yeah, Victor Hovland, if you didn't know it, he won on the PGA Tour yesterday. He's caddying for his friend today. His college roommate is trying to uh, secure a spot in the U.S. Open, so Victor Hovland is there with him as his caddy. That is just fantastic. Shows what kind of guy he is. Could have easily been like, "I gotta, I gotta relax after this. I, you know, maybe I'm gonna go out and party." Nope. I'm hopping on a plane, going to help my buddy by carrying his bag around for 18 holes as he tries to make the U.S. Open. Just fantastic stuff from Victor Hovland. And we have to mention Ira. Rose Zhang, she is the two-time NCAA champion. Her first pro event was this weekend, and she won. She's the first person in 72 years on the LPGA Tour to win her pro debut. We might be seeing the next great one of women's golf. I mean, fantastic what she's done the last two years, and then to win in her debut is, is just really something else.
1: Amazing, amazing to come. I mean, Tiger didn't win his fourth tournament, so that's pretty
0: Well, she went so. to Stanford, too, and her numbers, her scoring average is below Tiger Woods. She has more wins and less appearances in college for Stanford. I'm not saying she's going to be the next Tiger Woods or the female Tiger Woods, but like I said, we might have a, a really big career uh, building up here want to talk a little French Open? I, I know you love golf, and this must be – I mean, I know you love tennis, and it must be hard to squeeze this in <laughs> with this busy schedule is, you've had it lately.
1: Is. It's in the morning. I have it on. And, I, and, I, and I, again, I criticize te- – I think tennis is the most beautiful sport. I mean, really, it is a tremendous it's, – it's mono-a-mono, like boxing, but they get to play all at each other, and you can see the whole match. I, and, I, and my friends say, I, you just complain so much because I love the sport too much. I think it should be a top sport. If you look at the ratings that it used to have with macro, and Lendl, it was – it was up there more than in the NBA. It used to have higher ratings than the NBA. I know that sounds crazy, but the fact is that tennis has chosen to destroy itself. Like, they have done this to themselves. One of the things is that you can't watch any of these matches because they're on the tennis channel, which nobody has. So they don't put it on ESPN because they were thinking of putting it on. And tennis channel great, does a great job, but put it on the ESPN like Wimbledon, US open. So people think, oh, there's only two tennis tournaments a year. And then, as I've talked about, is the match that, everybody wants to see is Carlos Alcaraz and Novak Djokovic. Uh, they want to see this. They've never met in the Grand Slam. They are on cruise control now. Alcaraz played Tsipas in the quarterfinals to the French. Tsipas could give Alcaraz troubles. So I'm not saying it's over. Um, and Djokovic has Karen Kachnovov, and that's going to be another difficult. But the fact that they are on the same side of the drawing room, can't wake up next Sunday, you know, just turn on the game on Sunday, turn the TV on on Sunday morning at night to see that final, but because they put them one and three instead of whatever they did. And then you're going to have the other side. It's uh, Holger Rune and Ruud, Ruder, one of the quarterfinals. And Sasha Zareb, which is a great story. Sasha Arab lost in the doll. Remember last year, they played at night, and he like tore his uh, his Achilles. On, and, and it was terrible injury right in the middle of the match. Well, he came back, and now he's playing really well. And he's in the quarter If he wouldn't say, he's going to be in the quarterfinals. And Holger Rune won a 5 set match. He's this great young Norwegian player who uh, – who, that side is not exciting. Fritz, the – the bad thing is that the Americans were on that side. Taylor Fritz lost two rounds ago to Sorondo in a good match, but you're thinking, okay, this is your chance to get to the final. He lost, and TFO lost to Zara. So these were the chances for America. The quarter lost early, and it was, it's was one of those things where I felt like I, I, I was hoping that TFO or Fritz would get through to at least the final to lose the play. Alcaraz joke and Djokovic, but they couldn't even get through it to the quarterfinal. so no American was left in, in there. And then in the women's side – Boy, the women, American women, have not played well with this at all. Uh, Jessica Pagula got destroyed. Other, the other, no one even she was the only one who made it past uh, the round of 16. But Coco Goff, great tournament so far. Unfortunately for her, she plays the number one player in the world, Iga Swiatek from Poland, who is cruising. She won her last match 0-0. Now this is not like 0-0 against you. This is 0-0 against the players. Like, look, top player in the world so this is going to be a challenge for golf to play attack in the quarterfinals uh, it's going to be a big big challenge uh, and she has not you know she needs to get this breakthrough but she's still only 19 like the great thing is if you can goff has been around for like four or five years she's 24 she's only 19 so younger than everyone almost out there so she just beats a young player but um, I, it'll be uh, this would be a good win Suitek is we saw her in the US you know, she's a great tennis player but this is a, this is a match I, I hope to get a chance to watch
0: and uh, what's going on in the uh, world of Water racing
1: well, the Barcelona Grand Prix against Max Verstappen, someone said he's like uh, you know, the Kenyans in the Olympics in terms of marathons, like always winning. He is dominating. He's now won five of the seven races and the other two are run by his teenage Sergio Perez. The story of this, this is that Mercedes of uh, Lewis Hamilton and George Russell, they finally have, they, they took their car, they crashed it. They, you know, and they, and they have done everything around it. And now they, they finished two and three, and they're not as good. They're way behind. They lost by 15, 16 seconds to Hamilton but to Verstappen, but at least they're on the right track. They're now ahead of Ferrari. They they look like they're, they're they're Aston Martin. They're ahead of, and it's almost like Lewis Hamilton, who had won so many championships. And then the last two years, Verstappen won in the the controversial finish, where they gave it to him. And then last year when Verstappen dominated, he's dominating this year. You almost get a sense now, Hamilton is re-energized like they want to go. And it was a great race. There's no accidents or anything uh, in the race. And it was fun. It was, it, it was, it was, I thought exciting in terms of seeing how Russell and Hamilton came in and stayed in there. But I think that's the story of this, of this is that Mercedes is finally getting their act together, and now they're going to try to challenge. Because Perez, the other driver for Red Bull, he uh, finished in fourth. He didn't even he, didn't, he, he started, he's been qualifying poorly. But Hamilton and Russell, two really good, you know, Russell's the young driver, Hamilton's the older driver, from Mercedes, look like they're maybe, and I like what Hamilton's saying he goes, if we don't get him this year, we'll get him next year. It's like, we're working our way to get our car better, so we're going to get Verstappen good. For staff, it looks just unbe- this year is unbelievable.
0: So, Ira, we mentioned earlier you're in Vegas right now, getting ready for a puck drop in just a couple of minutes. Uh, as we see the Florida Panthers take on the Vegas Golden Knights, what's your plans for this week? Because I assume you're coming back to Florida because there'll be a lot of action here.
1: Well, clearly it's weird, isn't it? Isn't the you know, the NBA? Are they? They. I think their plan is let's let's push the whole finals out to like football season because they, <laughs> they talk about load management. Like they are load managing. This is what the Lakers like. My friends who are Laker fans are like, if the Lakers could just made it to the final because they played, they played Thursday, then they had two days off. They played Sunday. Now they have two more days off and they play Wednesday. So I'll be in I'll be there in uh in Kaseya Center Wednesday. I'll be there Friday, and then after that they have the week off. They don't play Saturday, Sunday, then they're back in Denver on Monday. So they play Monday and then they get two more days off and it's Thursday and Sunday. They have the breaks like two days off almost between every single game, which is crazy. So I'll be there Wednesday Friday. and Friday. The question is, what hockey would I go to? I go, I'm probably going to not go Thursday, but I, I think I'll go Saturday to the game, the Panther-Vegas game on Saturday. But this is super exciting. You know, it's great and uh, for South Florida and uh, I just i am so pumped. And I hope people, you know what, people should co on my Iron Sports Instagram page my pictures from the game yesterday were awesome like joker takes take great pictures i had the video of butler and joker going after him when, when joker took it into butler takes the ball with the joker then runs around and then does a follow follow away which is pretty cool and i have pictures of the players warming up so i'm really really good pictures that i think are uh, some of my best i've ever taken
0: we are out of time he's ira on mike we'll talk next monday night ira on sports